Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Yo, what up? It's your boy, the GOAT, the OG. <laughs> What's up? Uh, yeah, so we're going to go over our experience uh, at the uh, SEG Con uh, Baltimore. There's some value here, even though we didn't top eight, unnecessarily. I think the value in what did we do? What mistakes did we make? You know, as people getting better at the game, as as I think most of the people watching this, uh, watching the podcast are, as people getting better at the game, what can we do to improve? Uh, and where do we make our mistakes? Because I think it really, it's really important to be honest with yourself when you're when you're trying to improve. Where where you went wrong? What what plays will you try not to make again? You know, what lessons have you learned? You know, something that we have for ourselves as part of the cast, like we have subscriber goals that we're trying to hit with the channel and things like that. But as creators of the content that are on the channel we also have goals for ourselves in a competitive capacity yeah and that is like as we do more of this and we get in more reps and everything like that our goal is to top eight an event within the next year that's like yeah. any legacy event we can get to is to top eight a legitimate legacy event prove competitively that we know what we're talking about as well as yeah. theory crafting and everything else so we'll recap it's, and there it has been a minute it has been a minute for me the, my last top eight was a vintage tournament uh in 2019 so now that i'm getting physically back out there it's you know it's it's time to start grinding again yeah and i find that like going through and recapping each round of your event that you played after you've been removed from it for a couple of days right you it yeah. settled a little bit you're off of it now you can go back and reflect and i think that that sort of reflection to remind yourself and really ingrain any of the things that you remember learning in those events to really like set that in next time you won't make the same mistakes or you can adjust from play patterns that you saw etc etc yeah one thing i like to do is i take notes uh after the round i put i put notes onto my phone and just kind of like real quick give myself an idea of what happened i'm not trying to write an entire tournament report in between rounds it's so much mental load but just getting a mm -hmm. big plays that happen things to remember so that when I go back and look at my, you know, look at my sheets and whatnot, luckily MTG Melee uh, shows you all of your opponents and what they were on, which really helps like jog the memory when you're when I'm doing this. But um, yeah, getting getting a chance to just go back and and look at the notes that you've made it in real time, like when you're there doing those things, it really helps you remember the key moments. So I think if if you're gonna be uh, the type of person that does this, uh, that that wants to make notes, that you know, even if you're not a content creator. I think it's it's a very helpful part of the getting better process. And if you look at a lot of the the content creators we know that are very good, uh, Bosch and Roll and Bryant, they do this too. They take those notes and uh, you know in between rounds, their their heads out of the game per se, but they're not you know they're they're, they're keeping a mental note of of things to expect and, and how they did in the last few rounds. Yeah, and other things that I I'll typically do is if there's a, a critical moment or like a critical mulligan or something like that, I'll just jot down quickly like a you know I'll just like um, initial almost like cards in my hand to analyze a keep or a mulligan against a certain deck and talk those decisions out with people that you went to the event with. Just taking notes rather than like actually writing them down is helpful rather than trying to take mental notes because usually if I mean everybody's had the experience of like hey would you keep this I think my hand was one two three four five six seven uh wait no man no wait, actually it was this not that yeah. and then it's just like you never actually can analyze something because you don't actually have the details specifically so help yourself out so now we can talk about phil your round one so i had a very easy round one my opponent didn't show so i got that nice that nice buy that nice unexpected buy yeah man that's the super one. skill tester right there if you can just have your opponent not show up bro but then pressure's on right you get a free yeah. buy in an event you're like all right try not to squander this spoiler alert <laughs> We already said we didn't top eight, so we already know that Phil, you did Ooh. you did squander. <laughs> Ooh. 
So my first round, I played against uh, River, who's on Reanimator. And uh, I kept like an OK7, Force Blue card, Tomb, and Saga. So I, I I didn't know what he was on, obviously. I didn't know what anybody was on until until the round started. I'm not, uh, I'm not as big a grinder online or whatever. I don't know everyone's names to that point where I'm just like, whoa, I know what you're on. But uh, I kept I kept what I thought was a, a pretty solid like in the blind hand of like ancient tomb bobbles and force blue card and river started out with like unmask grizzle brand reanimate and I countered it so I felt I felt pretty good about keeping that hand and then I just ended up taking that game with with the constructs which was you know blanket just what you what the deck does right what eight cast does uh, game two uh, I I sat it in my my graveyard hate. And I opened uh, Fairy Macabre and another Ancient Tomb Urza Saga uh, startup. So I was like, this is fine. I can't even counter it. So like he has to he has to use discard to even make me not be not be able to interact. So like, let's just see how it goes. And uh, he was light on lands and never really got uh, mold to six and never really got going in that in that round. And the game ended with I still had the Macabre in hand and I had a, a Soul Guide Lantern in play. Uh, and and obviously uh, the constructs just took over the game. So that was my round one. And I did a small interview with River uh, at the end of the tournament, just asking him questions about uh, about the new set, Lord of the Rings cards, and and, and you know uh, his tournament thus far. Yeah, in my round two, I played against a four color control player. Uh, nothing really too much of note, except that he was in, the, I guess, the same hotel or uh, in the same car as somebody who plays at my local. And so he actually knew my list. They looked at Moxfield ahead oh, of time, no. uh, just talking about my control list. So that he knew the, the, you know, my third Mystic Sanctuary, that like nothing was a surprise to him. And the, the games weren't really all that interesting. It was Slam a Minsk and Boo both games. Force of Will, Force of Will, back, end of game. Minsk and Boo just snowballing both games, nothing really eventful, just kind of got bodied by a single card. That, uh, that'll do it, yeah. Planeswalkers are especially tough for your deck. Yeah, Minsk and Boo can be your commander, so I should have played around that. <laughs> yeah, should have. You should have just played Commander instead. Round two, I played against Viet, who was on Death and Taxes. And um, looking at the life pad, I mean, this was a this, total grind fest. Like, this is, let's find it here. This is what the life pad looked like here. It just constant constant back and forth game one uh i had to force an early spirit of the labyrinth uh which i hated to do but my hand was all like cast cards i'll draw twos so i really didn't lose to not being able like not getting any value out of my cards so i was like okay i i mean what else am i going to force against this deck anyhow like i might as well force a will this they're not a combo deck i'll be okay he just went skyclave apparition into lauren the retro foundry got taken by the skyclave apparition Psy got taken by another Skyclave Apparition. You know, we were just jamming fair magic cards at each other until Lauren came down. Lauren took out something else. I think one of my constructs. The the game just like kind of grinded to a halt for a minute. Put Lore, uh, put Yurion in his hand, blinked all his guys, and it was just blowout city from there. Like I, I couldn't come back from that. I think I walked by your table <laughs> and I saw the moment where all of the oh. stuff was flickering back in from Yurion. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, well, that game's over, but they're still playing yeah. it out. You know, I tried for like another turn or two to just like try and rebuild, but like I just didn't have it. Uh, game two was like super fast. I prioritized the constructs and eventually just got in with lethal before Yurion could hit the board and like blink everything. And he didn't have enough to like to stop me completely. So game two went much better for me. 
I think there was a chalice on two at one point, or maybe a chalice on one at one point that stopped that was like stopping sorts of plowshares, uh, which he did end up getting rid of. But it, it did, by the time everything was going, it really didn't matter. I think I forced a sword to plowshares afterwards. Game three was a slug, fa- like game three was a slug. Uh, my life total went from 20 to nine to 25 to three to nine, and then I was dead. Like I'm just up and down and up and down. You know, I had out my my Morgul blade, uh, or my Morgul knife, uh, Shadow Sphere. Shadow Spear between Swords of Plowshares, Lauren and and Skyclaves, just the attrition that DNT brought. Like I just could I could not get get past it. So I think I think I say this a lot about eight cast. If I have infinite turns against another player, like I'm eventually just going to outcard them. But that's not the case with DNT. DNT is the is the deck that like if if they have infinite turns, they will outcard me. I think the the number one thing with this deck that that got me is just like getting all that value a second time off of Yorion. Having a guy on a stick that like disenchants, like disenchant on a stick, very good against my deck. Disenchant on a stick and then getting to get that value a second time is just bonkers. And between yeah, Skyclave and Lauren, it was, it was you know, I, I had no chance. Quick ethical question for you before I move on to my next round. So uh, one of my opponents, through, it's, I, it's not my round three opponent. I'll talk about my round three opponent. It was very cool. Uh, knew who I was from uh, 90s MTG. He had seen a list. Separately, ethical question for you. If somebody at a live event sits down across the table, hello, how are you? Okay, cool. You sit down. And then the first thing that they say beyond that is, what did you play last round? Which is obviously a fish for information. What would you say in response? I always just tell them. So like, look, if I was more of a spike, I, I probably would be like, uh, we can talk about that after the match. And, and, and in fact, when I talk to people at the beginning of the match, I tell them like, hey, like, you know, I'm working on a podcast and I'd love to ask you some questions about the new set afterwards. I won't ask you anything beforehand. I know you might, maybe you've got some new cards. Maybe you have opinions about those new cards. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm very upfront about the fact that I'm not trying to like gain information from them. But if, if someone's trying to gain information from me on that, like, you know, you could also lie to them and tell them you played something different in the next round. You know, you want to be like yeah. the true shark, right? Well, yeah, I, I was sort of uh, caught off guard by one opponent who had asked me, like, point blank, what did you play last round in a way that was so obviously a, a fish for information, yeah. rather than actually caring what you played against last round, changed the dynamic of, like, the hello, how are you, and the friendliness more yeah. towards, like, cold, like, oh, we're angling it right now. Same thing, I, I honest in that scenario, and then after the fact was like, mm, I think that might have been to my detriment. But that was one of the things that I, I, I marked down afterwards. I was like, I'm going to ask how other people approach the situation. And I think the correct thing is to to just say i'll tell you afterwards if you're so curious yeah. or lie it's, it's no big deal <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, i wouldn't no lie I, I i couldn't do that but if someone if you see someone angle shooting you like that like it's totally i, I don't even know to just be like oh yeah i lost to oops all spells or something i don't consider it an angle shoot in any way it's just like fishing yeah. for information like if you sit down at a poker table and you're trying to get some body language or something yeah like it's 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 totally fair game right like the game starts before the game starts and yeah. you know in in a, in a high stakes tournament like i i can uh, i can appreciate it i mean i'm not I'm ever gonna do it i'm not gonna be like what'd you play last round or like you know the gimmick where you're trying to eyeball somebody's notepad or whatever or trying to fish for whatever information yeah. you can i i totally understand if somebody else is gonna try and get those edges if they can and i was thinking look what what is the at large community's etiquette take on how to respond uh politely to those kinds of in- inquiries but okay so yeah i agree with you though on, on yeah. how it goes but i i try okay, and so- keep it i try and keep it casual i'll be like we'll chat it up yeah, afterwards yeah, like let's let's talk yeah, yeah. Let, we'll definitely i I'd, I'd love to talk to you afterwards about it you know like it was very obvious that it was a fishing for information. I did not just call out the 
well, if I tell you, it would give you a lot of information for your mulligan decision. So I'd yeah. rather not. Like, yeah. I think that's like, it's just like, just calling out like what is being insinuated. <laughs> is like actually the healthiest way to talk about it <laughs> rather than being like, Oh, well, you know, I don't I'll tell you that. after you mulligan. I, I'll, I'll just, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like I'll just I'll also continue on the facade of like what you're asking. It's like, no, you can just call it out and be like, look, man, I don't want to give you that information before we mulligan. Like, I yeah. think it's but it's a good question, though. Like, uh, uh, power to you. OK, so moving on to my round three, I played against a guy named Josh. Really cool dude. Uh, he recognized my name on Melee uh, from he played Demir Ninjas and he had seen a long time ago on 90s MTG. I was brewing around with a blue white ninjas deck and saw that. And, and had the take and he remembered it and so we talked about that a little bit the the match was pretty much a his deck just did not function for him like he had a bunch of enablers but just never in one game he just never found a ninja so i was taking like one from changeling outcast for like several turns on no ninja and then the second game he missed on his land drop so he wasn't able to protect a ninja he found and i just hit it with removal the the games ended up being not too interesting because his deck in two different ways just did not perform for him that round. He he caught the bad end of variance. That that was pretty much that. I didn't make any significantly intricate plays. He missed a land drop and I was able to capitalize. He didn't find a ninja and I was able to take hits without having to expose removal on his enablers. So pretty, and this pretty smooth round. Two and one. This may be two and one. Uh my round three was uh this fellow Jeff, uh Grixis Delver. Really fun opponent. Um game one was chalice and constructs. Like I just did the thing. Put out the chalice, put out the constructs, and just got in there, right? Game two, uh, I was, dude, I was running hot. I was like, okay, I'm just going to ram down constructs, play chalice on one, and I was dude, I was riding so high. And you know what happened? He played Orcish Bowmaster. The content creation got me, Phil. It just, I, I just like, I got in my head so much about how good Orcish Bowmasters is as a content creator, as like talking about it, as... One of our videos up here, like we'll tell you, it was, it's a good, it's a very good magic card. I, I drank the Kool-Aid, Phil. I drank your Kool-Aid specifically when you got me on that whole, it's good against eight cast, all the cast cards in your deck, all the drawing, blah, blah, blah. In that scenario, I don't think it was as good as it needed to be, but I force of willed it anyways. And I had a thought monitor in my hand. So I felt, you know, I felt pretty good about myself. I, you know, slammed down my thought monitor the next turn after, after doing that. And uh, I drew two cards. And my opponent untaps and he cast Meltdown. <laughs> I felt like a moron because I could have saved that force of will for the Meltdown, obviously. And of course, like, then there's there's the Thought Monitor just staring back up at me like, you moron. I had no permanents on the board aside from Thought, thought Monitor. Like, I, I'd already lost my, uh, I think he wastelanded my uh, Saga. All of my, like, I had Cetusai nods. I just looked like a complete fool there. Uh, and and he trounced me in that in that game. And game three, I'm going to make game three quick. Zach respects Meltdown. Meltdown gets cast. Meltdown gets cast again. And that is, that is the way game three worked out. And uh, Jeff ran over me. It took him a little while to flip his Delvers. There were two Delvers that would not blind flip. Uh, but once they did, the game was was quickly over after that. I agree that Bowmasters is obviously a very good card. It's going to be a mainstay for Legacy for a very long time. Uh, it is not the the broken, crazy something or other that's, you know, going to overend the format. Perhaps it will have a lot of impact on what X1C play as as people get more accustomed to it. But the fact that it doesn't stop you from doing what you want, it punishes you for doing what you want, means that the textures is very different. If you get hole breachered in response to your brainstorm, the game ends on the spot. If you get bowmastered in response to a brainstorm, you take some damage and they put some bodies on the table, but you still get to play a game. You're still alive, you, yeah. You, you still get to resolve your spell. So you got punished for your spell and now there's a threat that you have to deal with, but it doesn't just straight up mean the game ends. 
Yeah, you it's, know? it's, it's definitely like, better against Grizzlebrand than it is against uh, Brainstorm. Regular cantrips, yeah. If you get Holbreached in response to your Brainstorm, that means that you just got him to Turok to end, they made treasures, and the game is over. Like, mm-hmm. it's just over. You're, you're never recovering from that. Yeah, so it's a five-card difference, yeah. In those regards, Holbreacher is just straight up an actual hate card and makes games really uninteresting it's just like uninteresting in the way what i mean is like similar to any hate card would hate out any kind of deck yeah like Like, choke against an island deck yeah exactly yeah like like blood moon against your non-basics like it just straight up it ends the game on the spot bowmasters doesn't do that so you know i think we we definitely had the hype i'm sorry that you fell into uh drinking some kool-aid but now you know for the future right yeah exactly like i learned that, that, that well this is one of those moments i was talking about at the beginning of the of the cast this was a moment where i learned that i don't need to force of will a bowmasters i need to force of will a meltdown and uh, and i learned Mel- I learned meltdown is one of those lessons. cards yeah like meltdown is one of those cards where like the game yeah. usually ends on the spot not always yeah. you can be built i've, I've like, been built from it but th- not this totally. time not especially not with over the course of three games three meltdowns were cast that's just too much yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean you can draw basics against blood moon right like there, there's may- maybe maybe in a world but like more often than not the game ends in my round four i played against a guy named david very very nice dude he was on a lurin he was on uh bug lurin with uh all of the one one flyers that draw cards and we played the longest grindiest first game back and forth and back and forth and back and forth it was probably the most like intricate and compelling game i played all weekend it was and the we ended up finishing the match uh we i won the first game and then we didn't complete the second game going to time because literally miracles versus all of the x ones you're going back and forth imagine that cemetery illuminator was actually the hero in that matchup uh i played cemetery illuminator over the weekend cemetery illuminator with mystic sanctuary and thwart was my engine that kept up and maintained the capacity to trade with all of his one ones that all cantripped he would cantrip and then i would mystic sanctuary for removal to maintain the board and so rather than my removal trading down a card cemetery illuminator going long meant that I was effectively drawing two car- two to three cards every turn to his he- drawing two, car- two to three cards every turn off of like Uros and, and yeah. Baleful Strix and Ice Fangs. So it was just extremely grindy in that way. And I could never break through because he had this army of one ones and he could never break through because I was playing Miracles and had, you know, all of the interaction to stop him from comboing yeah. me. And so we both just saw, you know, got to the bottom ends of our decks. So really intricate game. There wasn't anything um, particularly unusual about the games. It was just an extremely grindy game, but also really, really enjoyable. A lot of intricate micro decisions that all mattered, but really enjoyable match. So before we get into uh, my fourth round, I wanted to quick give a shout out to our uh, sponsor, Moxfield.com. Moxfield.com is the best deck building website out there. Uh, Phil and I use it constantly. Uh, you can find all of our lists on Moxfield.com. You can follow the Eternal Dirtles Moxfield, where we'll put all, we put our lists up for tournaments. You can follow my personal Moxfield, where I have all my EDH decks, all of my legacy decks, all of that stuff as well. And Phil also has his his Moxfield. So all those links are below. Check out Moxfield.com. They rule, and they've got just so many cool features. My round four was against Sam. Sam was on Goblins. And Phil, if I was on Rug Delver like back in the day, Goblins would have just scared the crap out of me. But in a deck where I actually have like, I've got creatures, blockers, and I'm also playing relatively fair magic, you know, and not trying to tempo my opponent out. This didn't feel like a very tough match for me. For the first game, I just did some construct stuff, put out a Shadow Spear, 
and attacked. The second game, he pressured me with some goblin guides. You know, that was a little scary, but he drew me like- Goblin guides and goblins? Yeah, there were goblin guides. I don't know if this was an optimized list or not. No idea. I don't know enough about goblins to say for sure. The the goblin guides came down and they were pressuring my legs hit a little bit, but I drew like an Urza Saga, a Cedar Synod, you know, like I got a bunch of extra cards just for him, you know, doing four or five damage to me over the course of a couple turns. Lackey came down a couple times, but I always had like a turn one, uh, a turn one uh, Emery. So like I could just block it effectively. So it didn't really matter to me too much. In my round five, I played against Pox, Mono Black Pox, classic Mono Black Pox. What I remember from it, like the notes that I took down were he won the die roll. So he was able to pick me apart game one. He stuck a couple of planeswalkers. It wasn't really much of a game. I don't remember ever really making any meaningful game action. My hand was picked apart. He played some planeswalkers. I never really did anything. I scooped the game. Game two, uh, I boarded in. I, I just moved away from everything that would two for one me. And I moved towards Triumph of St. Catherine out of the... Uh, to, as like my 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 way to like really steer the game. He did not see a triumph in game one as I, that I recall, but his turn two hand lined up really nicely with the draw that I had. I was able to miracle a triumph, but he naturally in his in his opener had a Nile Spellbomb and a Dark Ritual for Liliana. He went turn one Nile Spellbomb. I miracled the Triumph of St. Catherine, and then he just went Dark Rit Liliana, sacked my thing, and then uh, exiled it from the yard. And then... Followed up with a car and a turn or turn or two later, and that was it. It, it ended up just being that like our we we sort of just like lined up our hands, and his lined up better. That yeah. that was really the the only argument would have been to not have miracle the triumph onto an empty board, but that. I don't think anybody makes that play on such a low resource count, knowing that you're playing against the discard deck. Yeah. Uh, I think you just slam the five, five and expect it to be good enough against black removal, but he had the exile thing. He had a way to get a, a very sticky planeswalker that I was going to have trouble removing. So it all just lined up and uh, he bobbied me. It was a, it was a really fast two. I, uh, I ended up playing in my fifth round. So now I'm two and two and you are, you, I'll, I'll be something else at the end of this round, but you are currently three and two, right? Three and two after round five. Three and two after round five. I also ended round five at three and two. I played against Nick, who was on Death Shadow, Demir Death Shadow, just the standard, pretty much stock Death Shadow. Uh, every time I look at a sheet versus Death Shadow, trying to remember like what happened, it's so hard because like you're, you know, I play the deck too, so I'm like, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened, and then and then I started doing damage to to them. The opener was just like the classic fifteen life shock fetch. Thoughtseize. I opened with a uh, saga. They wastelanded some cantrips. I played another saga. And then they fetch and they go to 12. And I go construct, construct, shadow spear. And it was kind of just over at that point. I think uh, it's it's very hard for a tempo deck in colors that don't hate on artifacts to like to deal with two giant dudes uh, that aren't being cast and mm-hmm. a lifelinking card that like that it just it, you know these these like tempo style Delver style decks um, just cannot compete with a lifelinking eight eight like it's just impossible. Uh, our, our our link to our interview with Tony Scaponi where we asked him you know is Urza Saga the best pound for pound card in Legacy. And he said it's got to be up there with the with the other top cards. I still I mean, think it's the I best think, one. I think Urza Saga is the pound for pound the best card in Legacy. And yeah, it's a, an uncounterable Baneslayer Angel with an additional body as a backup yeah, Baneslayer. It's, it's just like too hard wild. for a lot of decks, you know? It's wild how um, good that, that card is. Game two is really quick. Nick wasn't able to get their life total low enough to uh, put out Death Shadow. 
Uh, and I was able to turn one chalice. Saga just finished the match for me from there. The post-interview with with Nick, they're super high on Fairy Mastermind, and uh, they preferred it over over Bowmasters in all four stacks. They were saying, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess Blue Count is still relevant, right? Like, that's yeah, the not, Blue Count is huge. Yeah. Being able to pitch, yeah, yeah. So Fairy Mastermind uh, versus Orcish Bowmasters in a deck list like that, I guess it's like important to still be thinking about your Blue Count when you're contemplating which threats to play. So for sure, Nick made an amazing point. Actually, yeah, having more blue cards like. There are some decks that might not want Orcish Bowmasters because of that. Depending on what role you're looking to fill with that slot, Fairy Mastermind being able to rebuild some amount of raw cards as opposed to Bowmasters being more presence. If you yeah. feel like your deck is already pretty flush on heavy board presence, which you know often the case is when you have a really thick Death Shadow on the table, that being able to just go back up some amount of cards when you're exchanging between Thoughtseize and Force of Wills, just being able to go up raw resources, particularly when your opponent's trying to do the same, means that you can be in a very leveraged position just having more resources. So I think it's a reason yeah it's still a reasonable comparison to, i think to... i think an interesting question then is like if you're are we going to start seeing decks that are fairy mastermind force of will bowmasters grief bowmasters i think has more homes in all of the decks that aren't blue as well yeah. like in meaningful ways Maverick, that, like they sure, would actually yeah. want that effect Whereas I think a lot of the blue decks don't necessarily want Fairy Mastermind because they already have some amount of raw resource uh, advantage with all of the other powerful blue effects. It, 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 I sort of think about it like Esper Sentinel. Like the decks that play Esper Sentinel are happy to have Esper Sentinel because it's doing a unique aspect that white doesn't often have in an effective cheap yeah. card the way that Esper Sentinel provides. Fairy Mastermind is good as a flash two drop, but there's plenty of card advantage spells you can be playing in blue or blue shells that they don't need something like that. You're yeah. playing like Staff of the Storyteller in a lot of builds. You have the three mana walkers that all are card advantage in a lot of ways. Like Fairy Mastermind has more competition in the decks that would play it. Where Bowmasters is like, yeah, you want it in Red Black Painter, it's going to do some work there. You want it in uh, any of the, like Grixis uh, Shadow where they're like looking for some uh, po additional powerful threat potentially alongside... Uh, the base that they already have to make up for Express Federation going. So there's some give or take there. But I think I think Bowmasters has more homes than Fairy Mastermind, but yeah. both are good cards. So round six. Well, I was going to say, after round five, the thing that I took notice to in how I was going to go back and uh, recalibrate my deck for a future event, I noticed that, or the matches that I won, the, the deck operated the way that I wanted it to, right? Like my, I, I put in a lot of practice with the, the list that I brought, and it effectively worked exactly like I wanted it to in the matches that I wanted it to. The unique spot that I recognized that I was very, very deficient against in the two matchups I lost were specifically Sticky Planeswalkers. Minsk and Boo yep. bodied me by itself in two games against my round two opponent. And then Karn and Liliana, each of them by themselves, bodied me in my round five. So it, it was very clear that I was soft to Planeswalkers and that that was going to be where I was going to be hindered for the rest of the day if I ran into it again. And so I was going to have to think to really, if I knew that a Planeswalker was going to be coming down, that I had to really contain my counter magic for that. But that, that was the thing that stuck out to me after round five, sitting at three and two. I was like, I was very underprepared for Planeswalkers that were not blue. In round six, this was one of my... Uh, uh, one of the matches of the weekend for me, it was against a, a, a guy named Max. Uh, he played lands. The games were pretty interesting. Cemetery Illuminator, again, the hero of this matchup because the incidental uh, graveyard hate, I was able to snag a loam. I was able to like essentially cut off his engines while going up resources on my end because he did not have access or um, easy access to a way to remove a 2-3 flyer that was disrupting him meaningfully. And then I was able to go up a bunch of resources on it. So it really carried the match. 
Uh, Cemetery Illuminator was definitely the hero there. Beyond that, that was really both games. Both games were on the back of Cemetery Illuminator disrupting the graveyard. Nice. The real the real shining moment of this match, though, was I'm playing, you know, fully altered miracles. And he's like, oh, you like altered miracles, huh? Yeah. So he reaches into his bag and he pulls out a deck box and he's like, you'll appreciate this. And he hands me the most exquisite fully altered miracles deck I've ever seen in my life. It was just every single, like... It just content for just for you it was all full <laughs> art just like masterpieces across mm -hmm. the table just like i thought my collection was good right like i thought my altered miracles deck was pretty man i feel like my my shit is child's play compared to what he handed me it was a museum it was yeah. a museum oh, in a deck gosh. box a after seeing that thing i was like man i i i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe that somebody else had a, a, a miracles deck that looked like this it was yeah. Oh, uh, it was breathtaking. It was absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, so, the whole altered universe. You guys, you guys are, uh, you guys are your own crew. It was. I, I, I will, <laughs> I will, I will, I like. I, I was literally like, I sifted through his deck for like maybe a minute and a half. Like, not really. I just like not that much time. I just like got to check out all the things that he had. But like each one just imprinted in my mind. It felt like I was, you know, in the Tate. It was, it was awesome. It was really cool. Contextual reference: the Tate is a uh, museum, is an art museum in London. Yes, for, for, for people who don't know where. Uh, you know, for you classless <laughs> heathens out there. Yeah, yeah. Just, if you want to so, go see a rock, go, 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 yeah, go yeah. to the tape. So uh, my round six. Now I am three and two as well. So we're both. You're you're what four and four and two now. Uh, that made me four and two after four and two. So I will be yes. four and two at the end of this round. I played against Andy, and it was the mirror eight cast on eight cast. Just like this is the this is the uh, exact matchup that I love to play because like. It's not my like my best matchup in the format, but I love the eight cast on eight cast matchup because you really get to see how your opponent feels about the matchup, right? Is everything's just sitting out there and there are so many decisions to make, and you get to see where your opponent prioritizes their place. So for me, uh game one was a stock like who gets and prioritizes Urza Saga. It was me. Andy went from like 20 to 12 to zero, and I was at 34 life at the end of the game. So I just, you know, two constructs. Got him in and did and did the did the stuff. Construct mania, just like yeah, it's just constructs. Just do it, you know. But do, do, so, you, you got to try the saga. You got to play that, try, test out that saga. What is it? Scroll of Isildur. Scroll of Isildur. Uh, and yeah. that could have that could have changed the whole game for 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 him. You know, Scroll of Isildur. You know, well, we have that. Do we that have construct. that video as well. Yeah. Do that construct. Yeah. Um. So in game two, Emery was the feature of the match. Uh, Andy used her with Haywire Might to just completely ruin me. Devastating. Uh, got my Saga, brought it back, got a bunch of other stuff. I think got a Retrofitter Foundry too. And uh, I didn't stand a chance in that in that, uh, in that that game. It was just devastating. It just complete sweeps. Like I think, let's see. Yeah, I don't even know. Wherever the wherever the cheat is, it doesn't even matter. It was a sweep in that, in that game. Game three is where we both started making really interesting choices. Game one and two, either, either Pilot would have played those relatively the same i think we it, you know like i was prioritizing my sagas in the beginning but like any dolt would have done that in a scenario where uh you know you have where you have them right uh but game three got was really interesting because andy had a couple of choices to make and i had a couple of choices to make i went all in on sagas and uh, and we already know because i told you i won the match that that was you know ostensibly the right play for me to make 
but Andy went on the path of Emery to the exclusion of using his sagas. And uh, I only had like two four fours. Like I had, uh, you know, I had like Saga, Saga, and the uh, and the Sphere. So I had a, a four four and a three two the, uh, with the Spear on, on one of them. So the first hit was only for four damage, but I quickly started like making them bigger. And I think uh, it just it, it, he decided in one turn that he was going to go on a different path and play uh, play other cards. And not activate his construct or his saga for a construct. And because he decided that he was going to cast spells and I had a force of will in my hand, I just forced that play, keeping the tempo on my end going, time walking him. And by the by the next turn, uh, he went from, we, we both had been using uh, tombs. So he was at 16, went to 11, and I untapped and just killed him. Like I had just had Zach, enough on the board to win. Zach, it sounds like you effectively controlled the narrative. I did control the narrative in that game. Yes, that that it turns out that if you're able, especially in the eight cast eight cast mirror, I firmly believe, and you know, you're welcome to you're welcome to disagree with me. I firmly believe that you should not be casting spells if you don't have to cast spells. Using all of your resources that are non spell based in that matchup, even if you think your opponent has sideboarded out their force of wills, just knowing that I set out my chalices. I just don't like. I don't even play that like weird. Like I'm gonna put chalice on zero game. It always punishes me. So I. I keep my force of wills in and I wait for them to cast a spell that means something. And I just try my all time hardest to be like, I I did something for free. You paid mana to do nothing. And I'm still getting in with my, with my uh, constructs, which is exactly what happened at the end. And the, the only issue I had with that match was that at the end of the round, there were 12 minutes left and we were on the other side of, of the convention center. And Jimmy John's was, all the way on the other end and I just didn't have enough I was starving and I didn't have enough time to get food so I popped over to the uh the like convention sidebar thing I grabbed a, a roast beef sandwich and and ate that so my round seven was against death and taxes and uh there again I was playing a miracles ver a, a list of miracles that was on cemetery illuminator and triumph of St Catherine in the main I was not on any terminus for this event I uh positioned myself thinking that triumph was going to do enough work for me that I wouldn't need the terminus that might have been the wrong call it was obviously like there were a lot of matchups where triumph is excellent I was very happy uh to see how much given how much delver I saw in the room I was happy that I had Triumph of St. Catherine in my list. However, I did not run against Delver at all in the nine rounds of the 10K. I ran into it in the 7K, or in the 7K, the 5K on the following day, but I did not run into Delver at all, despite I see sitting around it a lot. Like there were, I there keep were a lot saying that Delver's games. popularity is waning, man. Yeah, like I saw Delver a lot. Like it, it was it was at the tables was where I yeah. was. Yeah. Like I, it was around me all day. Like I, I saw a lot of Delver. There was a lot of Bowmasters to be had, a lot of Grixis Delver around me, but I never actually ran into it. And my pairings ended up making Triumph of St. Catherine look not as strong in that, like, against four color, where they're on Minsk, Uro, and Swords to Plowshares. And they have know, Swords, Triumph, yeah. is, Triumph is a little anemic. Against Aluren, where they have a bunch of X1 Death, 1 1 Death Touchers, Triumph is a bit anemic. Against DNT, where they're on uh, Yorion, Solitude, Swords to Plowshares, like a lot of white removal. Again, a 5 5 Tarmogoyf on the ground is not really going to get through in those matchups. So, Usually I'm very happy when I'm playing Miracles to sit across from Death and Taxes. In this case, I felt like I was a bit underprepared. 
And what ultimately ended up happening was they had enough removal for my threats that I wasn't able to get a cemetery illuminator uh, engine going. I wasn't able to like protect it long enough to accoup enough advantage. Triumph just did not pose all that difficult of a threat for them between uh, all of the white removal that they had. And it really just came down to we traded, we traded, we traded. The companion mechanic is really good. He put uh, an additional threat in his hand. So he just naturally was up cards. And then that sort of snowballed the game as he had a Krakus to then eventually grind it out. So the the games, both games came down to that. I boarded in my entreats that I had in the board for the grindy matchups where I knew that Triumph wasn't going to be strong enough, but uh, I never found an entreat in time by the time the game was already lost. So it came down to, I was unprepared for the matchup. I had the tools in my arsenal if I wanted to be able to target this matchup, but I was much more situated to go up against Delver in this event than I was against DNT. So that's just on me. You know, I could have prepared better for a matchup that I was unprepared for. All of the tools that I would have needed to have win those games were available to me in my prep had I wanted them. And I just made different choices going into the event. And that's how it goes sometimes. But tight games, good games, but I felt underprepared. My round seven was against Jordan, who was on Blue Painter. And I, I had never actually played a match against Blue Painter. And let me tell you, I am in love with this deck. Like, I want I want to play Blue Painter now after playing against this deck because it's, it's eight cast plus. It was just like, oh my God, what three banger uh, games too. Like we, we duked it out. It was like watching like Rocky four. Like it was just amazing to me. And, and of course I ended up being Ivan Drago in that situation. <laughs> Suddenly the well, entire yeah, crowd, yeah, I, turned, I, all the Russians turn on Ivan. <laughs> so I, I I recall when I walked in, so I, I saw, I was walking by this match too. You know, we, we, yeah. we had a very similar record. So we were, you know, within range of each other we all day. We were always like two tables away from each we were other. We were sure we were going to play against each other. And it was relatively easy to find you because you were in your Pac-Man suit. Yes. So, you know, you weren't difficult to spot from a distance. And I remember as I walked by, there was an Urza, Lord High Artificer, sitting across the table from you i didn't know that he was on painter when i saw that on the table but i was thinking to myself i was like oh well that's a mirror breaker if i'm yeah dude one. it what well, it was indeed a mirror breaker that so in round in game one uh i pulled ahead early with urza saga and got there just before urza lord high artificer like valued me out of the game like i snuck in there i think i think i ended the game with a uh kappa cannoneer that i like grew out real fast and and swung in for for the kill but like i was pro had that lasted like another turn i would have lost the game well i remember us whenever we talk about the you know your eight cast games and then you're talking about what it's like in the mirror and you prioritize urza saga it's like if prioritizing urza saga constructs is actually the way to beat that matchup then adding more urza saga adding more constructs urza, yeah, of course. more constructs yeah. seems like a really potent tool it so was... when i saw that i was like oh man like why didn't we think of that yeah no it's it that like i need to pick some up the, that card was amazing in game two i was on the same plan i started out my chalices i put in some graveyard hate for the for the emery situation with the with the grindstone painter and i actually dodged a blind flip urza saga uh, so blind flip urza painter like he had the grindstone out you know shuffled with urza flipped it over i cut the deck and boom painter on top i counter the painter and uh, I'm like, oh my god, I like, I'm so dead. Emery's Emery's right there. Like, I'm in trouble. Top decked a Soul Guide Lantern, slammed it. You know, okay, I'm still in this game. The next thing that happened was Hercules Recall, and I couldn't. There's just nothing for me to do. Like Hercules Recall, just I couldn't come back from that. I rebuilt, like hanging on for dear life, but eventually I I just you know, I just got outvalued by the pressure of Jordan's deck, and and I think that I lost to to his construct. Like just one giant construct, I mean, dude. If 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 he was playing 
two Urza, two Urza Lord High Artificer on his 75, as well as a Hercules recall. Yeah. He, he, he knew he had a plan for the mirror. He knew oh, what yeah. he was doing. No, yeah, for sure. You know? I did too, so, but like his plan was much better than mine. And if we go into the next game, an even better plan. So my lack of a good night's rest at this point is, is, is definitely taking a toll. My reps against this deck, the fact that I've never had any reps against this deck definitely got me. Between the pressure on my life total, the grindstone painter combo, and not to mention Emery coming back, bringing it back, and Haywire Might. Haywire Might against my deck is, is so bad because I can't even use my Emery. He killed my Saga with Haywire Might. That game was rough. And then uh, removed my Lantern and removed my Retrofitter Foundry. Like everything I was doing, Haywire Might was just valuing me out of the game. And so... Yeah, just vindicate you every turn. Oh, uh, it was so bad. I even I even got my Retrofitter Foundry to turn one of my servos all the way into a 4-4. Because the game ended like this. He swung in with two giant uh, giant uh, constructs. And I was I was at a like a, an odd life total. I looked at the board and I was like, you're going to put me to one. And I've got Morgulblade on board. I think I had at that point dealt with the Haywire Might or I dealt with the Emery. This is it. Like, I've got to take this damage. I've got one construct, a, a construct that's co coming out next turn. I'll get the Morgulblade and I have a 4-4 construct. So I was like, I'm not going to block. I'm going to try and get back in and do this. I take the damage, you know, I'm like, I'm no blockers. And they go, I'll make a token. So he made another artifact, pumping his team, and I didn't even see it. And so I lost because I wasn't paying attention, which is, it's a sleep issue, you know? Like, I had I been paying a little bit more attention, that is a trick that I do, you know? I would have known to do that. So I think that at that point, it was a long day. Uh, I could have I rolled out the X2 thing, but as fate would have it, X2 didn't even make the top eight. So uh, I, I, that was the end of my day. Yeah, that that is a similar status of what happened after my rounds too. We hit the the last couple of rounds. Uh, I noticed that there was also a significant drop off in how serious players started taking the event because they were dead. <laughs> yeah, right? they were dead for top eight. So it, 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 the 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 atmosphere was much more. It, it was like it, it's not that people were uninterested. It's not the 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 lack of like wanting to play the the desire to play extremely tight in order to convert a win was no longer there. It was yeah. much more loose and like yeah, if I, I mean, punt whatever. We can say know. that for our seven rounds, people were were trying hard. You know, like yes. yes. <laughs> After that, it's like uh, kind of, you know, what what have you. Yeah, the, the stakes are gone once you're dead uh, for top eight, right? It's like, you know, the 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 the, the money to top to, to make it in the rest of the event just isn't there. So so I think I'm going to I'll wrap up my last two rounds pretty quickly because they, they, they were not matches for stakes. They were just for reps. But like everybody, you know, it was a long day. It was a nine round event. People were hungry. People were tired. People, the, 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 the capacity to top eight was gone. I played in round eight. It says against the Zoria's tempo. I honestly don't remember what that means or... Or, who, or what that was, uh, but you played spirits. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. It's listed as Azoria's tempo, but I, I I didn't mark it down, and I don't remember on on MDG Melee. It's listed as Azoria's tempo. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was, but they two owed me, and then I played against uh, eight cast in the last round and got there. And let me tell you, I know that Cemetery Illuminator I, it won me a couple of rounds, but against eight cast where they can't remove Cemetery Illuminator effectively, it just goes deep, and they can never really get a, a hold on the on the games because Cemetery Illuminator just ancestraling every turn while also messing with Emery is just really valuable. 
So yeah. Cemetery Illuminator did a lot of work for me. And I, I was very happy to sit across from... Normally, I'm not very happy to sit across from ACAST because there's a saga as a beating. But Cemetery Illuminator really changes that matchup in a significant way because it just lets you keep up on resources and then also interact with the graveyard in a meaningful way to stop Emery from being an absolute menace. Uh, I well, I have I have there. here the uh, the uh, Azorius Tempo deck, by the way. This is an Invisible oh, yeah. Stalker, Esper Sentinel, True Name Nemesis, oh, Staggering right. Insight, that's Curious right. Obsession. Yes. Woo! So, Woo! okay. Spike. So, yes, I... <laughs> I just, I just, I now I remember this match. Got yes. this so he, was, he, he was on blue white bogles, and it was it, it, the 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 games were, and I can't stress enough, the most uninteresting games you'll ever play. It was <laughs> oh, I'm gonna man. play a thing, I'm gonna suit it up, I'm gonna fight over whatever. It doesn't matter. And since we were both dead. There was one game where he had suited up an Esper Sentinel with a Curious Obsession and then fought over the first removal spell. The game, there's still a lot of game to be to be had. But the 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 second he fought over the first removal spell, and I was like, this is gonna be the most uninteresting and non-compelling match of the of the weekend. So I just extended my hand after you were like, like you got it. Well, the thing is, I was like, I'm never going to be thinking about this match ever yeah, in my yeah, testing. Yeah. I'm not going to learn anything from this game because the, you know, you know the answer to this matchup. It's Terminus. Exactly. Like yeah. I, I like you've already suited up a thing. There's nothing else to be gained from me playing the rest of this game. And I'm not having fun anymore. And I can't top it. All of the stars align of. I'm just going to it's time to get know, lunch. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was just the choice of like I'm going to just have the experience that I want to have now, which is not playing this matchup. And so I extended my hand. I said, "Great games," and then I and then I packed it up. But yes, I now that I, now that you brought it up, I remember that that's why I don't remember it because it was a blink. <laughs> you literally, literally blanked of, it out of your mind. It, it was it, it was literally a blink of an eye match because I was like, like no, no, I don't no. want to be here. I mind wipe myself. I want to be here. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. That was that was the whole tournament for us. Uh, I don't know, man. I had I had a blast. I want to do more these i have i i have one one thing that i want to talk about uh in my 5k uh oh, yes. performance i went five and three i mean five and three i went four and three across seven rounds and i can give some like just real quick rundowns of like what happened there there was one particular moment uh across the day that was uh very much uh, a lesson learned that i think uh might be valuable to people who are watching so i'll just i'll do the quick rundown round one against reanimator i'm playing a shitload of uh fluster storms and i get there commended on both of us being able to play optimally. But one thing that I learned, uh, heads up to all you combo players out there, in game one, I didn't know what he was playing. I was keeping in the dark. Uh, it took a long time on a mulligan decision, and that tipped me off that he was on combo. So when you're thinking about what hands you can keep and what you're looking at, get your reps in to maybe not take so much time if you know that it's not going to be a protected kill or something like that because it informed me on my mulligan to six as to what to put back. So yeah, keep those, that, keep those, uh, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to do those openers, just do your opening reps constantly and see what different hands are worth keeping and be able to do the math by just looking at like seven different cards. Yeah. So the, I, I was, I was tipped off that I, I didn't know what kind of combo. I just knew combo. So yeah. I was like, okay, well, I don't want these white cards, right? So, yeah. I mean, in, against Reanimator, sometimes you want source of plowshares, but for the most part, you want to keep a fatty from hitting the table. So it, it informed my mulligan. In game two, I played against Grixis Delver, the first time that I saw Delver and the only time that I saw Delver uh, across me on the weekend. But something that I learned, so I had switched up my deck list for the 5K. And one of the cards that I, 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 I moved more towards like a classic Miracles build with like a bunch of Snapcasters against Grixis Delver, I was playing a Savine's Reclamation as a way to uh, pick up or recover from a wasteland, but also to turbocharge me up towards 
uh, thicker and treat the angels. So I played a one of uh, Savine's recollection is just like a value card uh, because if you pick up a fetch, it represents a mystical tutor off a mystic sanctuary later in the game. So there's some value there. Yeah. And it also lets me recur snapcasters for additional spells or dress downs to play against Urza Saga a little bit better. So against Grixis Delver, we get into a really grindy game one. I have a Savine's Reclamation with a Snapcaster and a Dress Down in my yard to his Dragon Rage Channeler, Murktide, no hand. So I have two swords to plowshares in my yard. And so what I do is I say, I'm going to flashback Savine's Reclamation. I'm going to target Dress Down and Snapcaster, use a fetch to Mystic Sanctuary one source of plowshares to the top of my deck. So I would draw it off the Dress Down and then Snapcaster the other source of plowshares to get rid of both its threats. Oh and my I'd be God. Sitting, I, I'd be sitting there with a Snapcaster and a, I think a couple of cards, but I don't remember what they were in hand to his empty, to, to his just board of lands right oh my god and so so i was like i'm Brutal. like this is it like like exactly what civilian's reclamation is here to do which is grind it's gonna grind so i i do the flashback we i do with that exact line right before we i i like the turn passes over to him he's like wait a minute does the does the snapcaster does the dress down see the snapcaster this. and i was like oh well i think that they come in and I, I stack them because I think I, I can have the Snapcaster enter first and then the dress down afterwards so that like the sequence will, will show like that. But like, let's call a judge because I've never actually flashed back both of these things off of Savine's Reclamation yeah. before. So let's just double check to make sure. So we call the judge and I'm like, I explain the situation. I'm like, hey, judge, like I flashed back Savine's rec Reclamation for dress down and Snapcaster. And uh, we just want to know, do they enter at the same time? Will the Snapcaster see the, will the dress down stop the Snapcaster? And without missing a beat, without like no second additional thought the, the the judge is like yeah i was like yeah like the snapcaster won't trigger and he's like yeah the snapcaster won't trigger no hesitation no hesitation and I was like, yeah and i was like oh well fuck okay i guess like if that's the case like it, it just seemed like it was the easiest question he had received all day yeah and i was like was it right oh, i was like so i was like okay so i i was like i scooped it up because of like if i if i made that i already committed to that play of course if it doesn't yeah. work then i'm i'm staring down leaf on the table so I, we just scooped it up and went to the next game i learned later on in the day when I was explaining that to the guys in my car, because the guy that I played against, his name was uh, it's Anthony Liberde, uh, known for, uh, he was playing Delver, but he's one of the guys that like built helped build breakfast deck that uh, yeah. Bosch ended up winning the whole thing with. We were talking, and, and Anthony was in my car. So we were talking about it on the way home, and then the rest of the guys in the car were like, that's not how that worked. And we were like, what are you talking about? So when you flash back Savine's Reclamation, you target something. And then if you, if you cast it from the graveyard, you copy it. So something yeah. else will target. So they stack. So the copy comes off first, putting something into play that will trigger, and then the next thing will come into play, and that will trigger. So that's it what I thought, I thought. Yeah. So it worked the way I thought, which is that's I a bummer the that the judge down. didn't know. So I flash it back, target the dress down. This the copy goes on the stack. I target the snapcaster. Snapcaster comes in. Trigger goes on the stack. Dress down comes in. Trigger goes on the stack. So it actually does work exactly the way that I thought it would, and I would have that that I likely end up winning that game had that been correct. The thing is, the oh. the lesson learned from that is, I, I it's okay. Like I, I have no yeah. hard feelings on like whatever yeah, you call the judge. The judge got it wrong. The judge got it wrong. Whatever. Uh, Anthony ended up uh, I, uh, top aiding that event. So like you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't for for not right. So which is great. You know, Anthony had done a lot of work, and and uh, I'm I'm very happy that he had success in uh, across one of the um, tournaments that we played. But the lesson to take away is know how your cards work. You know, yeah. I, I I I I was I was under the impression that. The the way that I played the Savine's Reclamation worked the way that I thought it did, but I didn't specifically, I, I wasn't able to specifically, yeah. I wasn't able to specifically articulate in the moment, like why I thought it worked that way, because I didn't, I, I didn't think to explain how it's like, yeah, the copy goes and falls off the stack and then the other card goes off the stack. And so even though the judge got it wrong, it's still my responsibility to know how my cards work. Yeah. On top of that, you could 
you know, you could have appealed. Right, right. But like, that, but that's the thing. I didn't even think, oh, I just interpreted the judge snapping off the answer as like, oh, of course. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. if the judge if the judge took no time to think about that and just knew the answer immediately, then why I'm not going to question that. But I also didn't know the interaction well enough to be like, judge, I'd like to appeal because I think that's incorrect. Ultimately, it's on me to know how my cards work. And so that's like a very valuable lesson learned. Right. And now I, I will never make that mistake again. So that was the big takeaway from the 5K that I, you know, the, the, the rest of the matches, like some of some amount of it was interesting, um, but like not necessarily like uh, any major lessons learned beyond that I was still soft to planeswalkers. But that that one thing, like know how your cards work in and in tight situations. If you're if it, even if a judge seems confident and you're not totally sure, ask the judge to please explain to you why the ruling is that way. Even if yeah. you're even if you think that they're right, it's okay to take an additional minute because if I just said judge. Uh, I, I I understand. Can you just explain to me why it works that way, right? Like use it as a learning experience. Yep. Because if I had just taken that one extra beat for the judge to explain what was going on, maybe he misinterpreted. Yeah, what you would have seen. You would have seen thought, the hole. Yeah. Maybe he thought the dress down was already on the table when I was flashing back the Snapcaster, and so you know, and and so he was answering a question that I didn't ask, right? Like, yeah. There there there's maybe a miscommunication. So. Had I just taken a, one one second longer to ask the judge, please explain to me why it works this way. We'll uh, be celebrating your top eight right now. It, 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 the, <laughs> the, the outcome might be different. So yeah. big big lesson learned. Know, yeah. know, know what your cards do. And if you're not sure why a judge is making a ruling on something, even if you think that you understand why, have them actually explain to you why. You can get the time extension and it's well worth just knowing for the future what's going on. So, But all in all, I, I had a great uh weekend playing what a magic. great time yeah my, my my record at the end of the weekend was nine and six so i was uh you know the a, a bread and butter but not enough uh to to make any uh profitable result but still had a great time would run it back uh can't wait for the next one and i think that does it for us have a good one everybody